And we are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, to Match Point number nine, a tennis bets podcast. I am one of three hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9Tennis on Twitter and now Instagram. So if this is your first time listening, chances are that's how you found us. Welcome. Hello. And if you're a returning listener, a returning champion, thank you. Welcome back. With me, as always, is my number one tennis talking bro, Derek. Derek, hello. Yo, yo, yo. Good to have you guys back. Just done with Indian Wells, finally. If you thought that was slow, well, we get another slow court on the second half of the Sunshine Double. So let's get through it. Yes, and joining us uh, once again to talk the Miami Open is a Toronto legend, Mr. John Reed. You can find him at <laughs> JR Tweets Tennis on Twitter. You can find his own brand at Tidbits Tennis. He writes for the Action Network, betting expert, Hammer HQ. He does tennis form recaps these days. John, welcome back. Thank you. A Toronto legend in my own mind. I also got to get you guys. You know, I used to host uh, Net Worth with with uh, Spread from Sacramento and, and Noops from Philly. And I had to try and teach them to how we say Toronto so you don't sound like a total tourist. We don't pronounce the second T. There's no it's there's no second T in Toronto. Barely pronounce the first one, too. I don't pray. Yeah, it's a CH, bro. <laughs> you can get away with Toronto, but you can't get away with Toronto. Can't, can't do it. Toronto legend, John Reed. <laughs> there we go. All right, guys. Well, this is a betting podcast, like I said. So we like to be transparent and have some accountability here. We like to take our victory laps when we can and pay for our losses when we have to. This is a segment we like to call, what did we win? What did we learn? Here's what we won. Cash, Carlitos Alcaraz outright, plus 650. Mentioned that a few times on this podcast. Uh, I believe I said in the outright talk at the end of our very first Indian Wells episode that if Alcaraz was healthy, no one was beating him, and that came true. So good on me, good on everyone on this pod for pushing that. We also said John mentioned this on a podcast, and I reiterated it as well at a smaller plus 200 price, but plus 200 or more mentioned multiple times on this podcast just for Carlitos to reach the final, and that was a pretty easy cash. He didn't drop a set along the way, so good on us for that one. We also talked about Carlitos minus three and a half, the four and two O versus FAA last time out in our matchup picks. The four pushed, but uh, the cash for those other two, John chased the four and a half at plus money. He got hooked. Saw a little bit of Carlitos's his vulnerability trying to convert breakpoints uh, that we, we saw last summer kind of came back in that FAA match. And also, I think FAA just his serve proved uh, to stand up more than we, we care for. And I think let's just let's do some Alcaraz talk here. Title match was uh, pretty much a masterclass from Carlitos. They always talk in tennis about peaking at the right time. And uh, I would say that was a uh, perfect example of that he had a game plan and he executed it he landed 76 of his first serves he did it all to just stymie med john what do you think of that title match i mean he's he's starting to become that beast that i think when a lot of people have tweeted about look the talent is is you watch one match for the first tennis match you ever watch you can see that this kid's good that pulling back in you know reining himself in so he's not committing unforced errors finding a more effective serve. His first serve, like his points one behind his first serve were way up despite slower courts. The placement was great against Medvedev. The pace was there. Uh, he's improved that. He's improved his point construction. He's improved his patience. It's starting to get scary. I mean, he's lost, what, one match this year when he was hurt to Cam Nori? I think that's his only loss yeah. to this point. Mm -hmm. He won this event last year. He's got the career Sunshine Double. He's going to do the calendar Sunshine Double in my mind. I don't know who stops him other than Alex Verev. Uh, to be honest, because Verev has enough uh, aggression. We'll get to that. It, 
later, but I, I, I just don't see who stops him. This draw seems really weak. I don't know if it's years of having the big three around and not having any of them here, but it doesn't seem like a particularly strong draw. Most seeds look like they have pretty nice little sections for them. So uh, Alcaraz rest up, gets a couple, obviously the, the two qualifying days and the fir- two first round days. There's no fatigue factor here. He's got four days off to go from California to Florida and then start his matches again. I don't know how you stop him. And he, like I said, he's improved the consistency. All the things that were like, there's no denying his talent, but it's frustrating to watch him screw up A, B, C, and D. And even one Carlos Ferrero in an interview earlier this year said that he gave, he listed out four things plainly, directly that Carlos had to work on. And it's clear that he's he's improving each one of those bit by bit. And it's going to be freaking scary when he starts getting a bit better on quicker surfaces. I don't know who's going to, he's going to be Novak Djokovic in no time. Like every loss is going to be a gargantuan upset. And he's going to be like 21 years old. It's going to be a decade of this. Yeah, I completely agree. It's freaking wild. So I went to the semifinals um, at Indian Wells. Uh, it's not a flex. I just happened to live somewhat close to it. So then like watching like Tiafo go into that match against Medvedev, it, you kind of just thought that, damn, Tiafo can hit through the court. Like this court's hard to hit through. And then you're going to say like, oh yeah, Medvedev's going to have some problems with that. But then like you just saw Medvedev play Tiafo, and then Medvedev freaking basically silenced that guy. And then watching Alcaraz after just hitting freaking rallies after rallies at the baseline with freaking center and then and then he freaking whoops center in two and then i was thinking dude is med gonna be able to do that same thing that he did to tiafo to alcaraz i am um, no the answer was absolutely not like i thought med was gonna be able to like play further back and return all of his freaking crazy forehands and everything like that but then I mean, I thought that all Med was going to have to do was worry about Alcaraz's backhand, or sorry, his drop shot, which is just fucking absolutely lethal. And especially when you're playing against guys like Medvedev, he's sitting so far behind the freaking baseline. But then, like, as that match went on, just like, dude, Med doesn't really even have an answer for this. Like, his defensive game, I thought, was going to be able to just absorb freaking Alcaraz's game like a sponge. But no, it's like, what is actually going to stop Alcaraz at this point? And I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I'm just begging to see freaking Alcaraz play Novak at this point, just to see what his response is going to be. But until then, dude, Novak ain't going to be at Miami. So I don't know who the hell is going to possibly stop him at Miami. Yeah, it really feels like injury and, you know, just a you know a bad match, a bad appearance are the only thing from stopping Carlitos from uh, repeating as Miami champ. You mentioned the Tiafo match, Derek. That'll pivot us into what do we learn? The losses here, and that is Francis Tiafo plus one and a half sets and money line. Uh, now, the prices were pretty good on both those. Plus one and a half sets was a plus 100. And we did get to a tie break. So, you know, at 50 50, you're at even money, pretty good. But uh, it really feels like we should have listened to ourselves early in the last podcast, as we talked about a lot of players reverting back to the players who we think they are. Tiafo, of course, delivered us a classic tight service game at 5 5 to get broke in the first. Uh, plus, he was not very accurate. Still, Med was great, was able to get some nutty returns. I think Tiafo. He did lay a little bit of the br- the blueprint, or at least tried a lot of things that worked for Akras with the drop shots. Uh, he obviously not as good on the drop shot, and then he did the serve and volley a little bit too late in that match, uh, but it did help him get to that tie break. Also feels like he didn't forcefully put away points, which let Med kind of octopus his way into returns, which Akras, of course, uh, forcefully put away points throughout that match. So yeah, tough one for Foe. 
being classic Tiafo. Although I hope that, you know, his battle back to get to that tie break is something he carries with him into, you know, matches in the future because it was, uh, it was a little bit of a, a Teflon Don uh, approach to, to get to that point. And I, I, I would say too, on that note, I did like the fact that in the first set, I think he tried to hit through med in the courts and he got almost overly aggressive and it was almost puzzling because he was hitting such low with such little margin for error that kind of hit himself out of the early out of the set and then med just served it out uh, with ease that second set like you said i think you started to see him think about things a little more start to work a few different you know types of approaches and not necessarily approaches to the net but different approaches to deal with medvedev i should say and it started to work. It was obviously a much tighter set on the scoreboard. I think it was a tighter set overall, really. And he found looks on return that he simply did not have in that first set. So like you said, next time these two play, hopefully he's got some notes taken in his mind and he knows, okay, a mix of that first set aggression, but tamper it down and throw in a little variety. And that combination might be exactly what he needs in that in that next potential matchup. Yeah, those backhand rallies, though, that Med was pinning Tiafo in, dude, Tiafo couldn't do much about those things. But in the second set, Tiafo was playing better. He had a better feel with his drop shots and stuff, too. And those things were not working for him. For some reason, he kept doing serving volleys, too. I don't know. I feel like he just kind of uses that option when he's kind of out of options, so to say. Well, I feel like that was pretty effective, though, for Alcaraz. But he was serving it out way wider and then mm-hmm. just knocking it into the open court against Med, which uh, Foe, I don't think, was, you know, he was definitely not kicking that thing out as far. All right. The other loss that we had was uh, Fritz money line at plus 100 or plus 110. Uh, actually, I believe uh, versus Yannick center in the other quarterfinal match. Uh, my angle was questioning the physicality, but even though the match went three, it played out in only two hours and 19 minutes. So he didn't really get tested that way. I would just say, I think that's the center forehand and both wings were just ripping in that first yeah. set. He wasn't missing. And they like, that was the best baseline power you'll see. In, you'll see along with Alcaraz in the final against med. Those two were, those were some of the big, biggest hitting matches I've seen in a while. It, it tailed off in the second and third sets. That angle was there. Like it was tough for center to hit with that pace throughout. And I think honestly, Fritz just in the third set looked Pretty poor, uh, and I think he left that on the table. I think he had a chance for that match. For sure. Center landed 62% of first serves. Uh, of course, it was the only match during this tournament that he hit over 60%. He only hit 50% first serve against Alcaraz, offered up 36 second serves in two sets against Alcaraz, uh, only winning 47% of those. Fritz only saw 32 second serves in three sets uh, versus Center, and uh, Fritz won 53% of those uh, as well, just like Alcaraz. So a little a little cleaner on the first serve from Center as well. We talked about a uh, serve in that handicap. Uh, Fritz loses the opening game, doesn't face another break point until the third set as well. So that also was a bit of a rub for us. But uh, that is it. I think it is time to to launch into our read rant, if you would like, John. <laughs> Ah, yes. For context here and to set this up a little bit better, John has something to say about a a tweet, a reply to him uh, about his handicap for the Tabilo Shevchenko Miami Qual yesterday. Uh, Someone wrote, adequate betters are on Shevchenko today, bro. The price on him was insane considering he's playing a clay court rat. (laughs) Clay court rat who also just went pretty deep last last tournament. and it's thousand he of said head. has no weapons. He said has no weapons. Like Tabilo ended up with how many aces? Like to say he has no weapons and he's a clay court rat. Like this is not Roberto Carballo's Baiana. You don't don't come and say that and then clown yourself by showing how little you actually know about Tabilo's game. Now you're just screaming to the world. One, I'm I'm stupid because I'm basing 
my reply off one set. And two, I don't even know the game of the guy I'm insulting. It came in hot during the first set. Uh... Okay, listen. Don't come to people's timeline. And one, just, you want to disagree with the play? Fine. Explain why. Don't go to a handicapper's timeline and sit there and say, ha, lost, you suck. Or nope, other guy's going to win. Well, no shit. Okay, I'm betting... A plus 220 underdog. Of course the other guy's more likely to freaking win, idiot. I'm not stupid, okay? I'm not saying he's. it's a big bomb banger guaranteed winner. Have a conversation about why the number I'm betting may still not be value. And that happened, I believe, with Gambler Kai. I think at this exact situation played out. I don't mind you disagreeing or saying Tiapa wasn't value. That's fine. Let's have a conversation about the different parts of the handicap and how we're going to price price this out. That's good. Different viewpoints help people learn. And maybe everyone gets better because of it. Or we all get notes from... That kind of discussion. But people who come to the timeline and then have the freaking nerve in the comments. This is especially with the Tabilo match. One guy comes to the timeline. Oh my God, he's a clay rat with no weapons. First off, you're making statements about like, this is a stupid bet. And then later on, any adequate better or no with half a brain or any ounce of intelligence or whatever the words were was on Shevchenko. Another guy goes, well, yeah, I got to stop falling for the fatigue trap. Yeah, because fatigue shows up in the first set, not the second and third sets. Fatigue ain't going to show up in the first set. Guess what? That's when a player's still a little bit fresh. The gas tank's a little bit more full. Just come on, guys. Like, stop throwing out these nonsensical arguments. And then to have the nerve to, to like, take an indirect, not-so-subtle shot at my intelligence for betting Tabilo. The bet wasn't good because it won. The bet was good because I got it at minus 140, and it closed at minus 400. And the worst part is I wrote that in the tweet when I released it. I said I was going to write this up for betting expert. I had it half written and I realized there's no freaking way this survives overnight before they can publish it because my editor's in Europe. There's no way this price survives. So I'm just going to tweet it out and say, I'm betting this now because of the cramps, because of the fatigue, because of the travel, and because this price is going to die. He ended up fatigued. He did have to travel and the price did die. That's why it was a good bet. Not because Tabilo cashed it. My point is with the with the read rant here, if you're going to disagree, have something constructive to say and rant. To be low, of course, one and three. So cash that for Mr. Reed. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, let's talk about this 1,000 event in Florida, the Miami Open. Let's do a little tournament overview. From Lipton to Erickson to NASDAQ to Sony, this tournament has been held in some form in the Miami area under different sponsorships. Since 1985 and 2015, it became the Miami Open, sponsored by Etow. And in 2019, this event moved to Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida, a stadium inside a stadium. Saw a funny tweet that said, men will build a stadium inside a stadium instead of going to therapy, which I thought was pretty funny. The reigning champion is Charlie Alcaraz. He beat Casper Rude 7-6-6-4. Hubie Hercash beat Yannick Sinner 7-6-6-4 to win in 2021. Federer won in 2019. Isner in 2018. Federer again in 2017. Novak won the three before that. Andy Murray won in 2013. A list of the recent champs there. Uh, this is one of the events that Nadal has not won. So do with that what you will. And he won't win this year because he's not here. Court-wise, there's the nearly 14,000-seat center court stadium inside the hard rock stadium a 5,000 seat grandstand court and then all the rest of the matches uh, are on the outer courts court speed is slow hard court this is where i'll open up the discussion here it's there's a lot of discussion about this on the timeline i see uh, but it's, it's not as slow as indian wells or even acapulco i don't think rumors are they might be faster the center court might be faster i saw people saying that uh, and then the outer courts are gonna be faster than the main courts yeah i think the one thing to note here is data points just keep adding up one match doesn't tell a story although borna goyo 
pretty much losing to Brandon Holt. And I had Brandon Holt. And I'm going to say he pretty much lost. There were three match points there for a straight sets loss. Um, and Brandon Holt couldn't convert break points. But the fact is, Goyo had a monstrous time getting through Brandon Holt. That's one data point. He's, again, saving break points now in the second set, but he's down a set as we record to Nuno Borges. That's another data point. These big servers are having issues. Chris Eubanks is in. He's qualified. And we were talking about this earlier. You know, they're holding up, uh, as you ordered it, but that's exactly it. They're just holding up. This is not dominant. They're not finding almost walkthroughs thanks to their serve. They are grinding. Lukas Klein almost beat Eubanks. Eubanks beating Shelby was a good win, but it's all over. You know, Garin and Tabilo both moving through. Uh, Kovacevic down, should have been down to Martyr yesterday who prefers slower courts. Vukic also prefers quick courts, but you see Kovacevic running out of steam and just not having enough to grind out these longer matches. Skatov and Melageni playing in the second round. Skatov versus Gomez is as close to a singular data point being indicative of anything in the world as I've ever seen. A quick hard court, Timofey Skatov does not beat Emilio Gomez, you know, in straight sets. It just doesn't happen. Well, it does, you know, very little, very few amounts of the time, but that was pretty dominant. There are too many data points. Daniel Altmar has qualified, right? The one-handed backhand, the big serve, but he's a clay guy and he needs time to wind up his his big cuts from the baseline. He's through to the main draw. Roman Safiulin had a monstrous time getting through Moreno de Albaran. He's through, but again, struggles to get through as a big favorite through at least one of his two matches. There are too many data points here that show me that it may be quicker than Indian Wells, but the humidity is still slowing things down. And these are not quick courts by any means. I don't even, I'm, I'm watching a ton of tennis. I'm watching for tennis form this week again. I'm not even seeing these as medium. If you want to go medium slow, we can have discussion. I still have these categorized as slow. If you want to go to medium slow, maybe. I'm not going to give you medium. I'm certainly not going to give you medium fast. Okay, so with these courts just slightly faster than Indian Wells, and then if you want to tack on the humidity, we're we're kind of looking at the same sort of speed as Indian Wells. Do you play these bets any differently than Indian Wells? Yeah. The bounce is different. Mm -hmm. Um, The way I think serves are a little less impactful because the humidity will actually, the way the ball travels through the air is different, right? The dry air allows serves to be better, but it's the, it's the court that eats up the speed. Whereas here the serves are, it's not going to be like t- 10 mile an hour difference, but like, a, you know, Petra Kvitova on the women's side, the humidity and the heat are very different from the Indian Wells heat. And so that impacts your handicap as well. Now you're looking for more physical players as opposed to just slow, hardcore grinders. Guys like Got Taylor it. Fritz, I don't think it changes your impact, but Kvitova making a run to the fourth round or quarters, whatever she did, Indian Wells, that shit ain't going to fly here at Miami. It's just not going to happen. Maybe so- it does, but I wouldn't bet on it. Like with the higher bounce, do you think that the clay court grinders have a better chance here than Indian Wells? Oh, it's a no, it's not as high as Indian. It's, oh, a, it's okay. a bit lower. It's not, it's still, it's still a high bouncing hard court relative to like Australia or Shanghai or most or even like Cincinnati or the North American summer courts. Yeah, but it's, it's, kids there. yeah, it's not a low bouncing court by any means. But I mean, it, it's, it, it is different from Indian Wells, but not in, the most dramatic ways that would severely impact your handicap. I think it's more just the heat and humidity factoring that in for certain players, not necessarily all of them. Okay. So do you think Medvedev's going to complain more or less or just about equal as Indian Wells? I think that should be the new metric. Screw the ITF ratings for course. <laughs> I, I think it. the new metric should be the levels of Daniil complaining. No complaints, <laughs> fast court. Lot, like complaining every single match five times and mocking a walk into the dressing room. Uh-huh. Indian Wells slow. Like, the Medvedev meter should be our, our court speed indicator from now on. 
Well, he is a specialist after all, so we, we should take what he says into account. So, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of medium bounce talk out there. Uh, they're also yeah. using the, the Dunlop ATP extra duty ball, different ball than Indian Wells. So uh, that could be hard for players uh, to hit with uh, as it becomes a little heavy in the humidity as well. Temp wise, it's going to be in the mid to high 80s for a lot of this tournament. Uh, as of now, low chance of rain, but that can change quickly here. Changed quickly in California on me. I got rained on in Indian Wells. And it was supposed to be 25% when we recorded. Winds will certainly be in play like we've seen through the return to the outdoor conditions. Going to see the uh, the shirts moving on the bodies here. I think we're going to see some chaos. <laughs> it's a, its own brand of chaos compared to Indian Wells. I mean, we did pretty well with Indian Wells overall. I don't know if it's just because it's a couple California guys here that have a, maybe a little bit more sense of, of the courts. But uh, I think walking in thinking uh, things are going to logically play out uh, in every match, I think is definitely not uh, the way to go, especially with like just the format of the calendar, right? A big thousand event into another big thousand event. Who knows where players' minds are at? It's also Miami, notoriously a party yeah. city. So <laughs> we got to take that into account uh, as well. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be dicey. I, I definitely think on the other side of this is when we get the clay season. Although clay, man, that's a bankroll eater uh, as well. But uh, maybe not so heavy with the units unless you see something you really like over the next uh, two weeks. It's either a bankroll eater or a bankroll builder. And one year it can be worth it can be a gold mine, and another year it just completely shreds it. It's funny. Like I've had experiences with both. Twenty twenty one, the worst individual like surface season I've ever had was clay twenty twenty one. The two best surface seasons I ever had were 2019-2020 on clay. I mean, those were the two best portions of the calendar I've ever had handicapping. So it's it's either, like, I I just, it's so hard to be in between. It's be like, oh, I broke even in clay season. Like, I never hear that. It's either I got destroyed or I absolutely cleaned up. Well, it is uh, on the horizon. So this is a last chance for any hard quarters to, to get some points. So maybe that's something to keep in mind as we roll on here. All right, guys. Well, let's jump into some uh, outright slash quarter winner talk. I would love to have prices on those quarter winners, but uh, man, they really slow rolled. Even the round one prices, I can't find any quarter winner prices at the time of recording. Because so, qualities aren't done. They're just they're just going to keep them down, I think, till qualities are done and they find out who's placed where. That's interesting because they had them up now when we recorded yeah. for this is the same time we recorded Indian Wells, so I don't really get it. But anyway, uh, Carlitos Alcaraz, the reigning champ, is... Your favorite here at plus 175, Medvedev, not too far behind at plus 275. A price I like and I want to talk about here is Yannick Sinner plus 1100 or or 11 to 1. Again, I would love to know what the quarter price is. Probably won't be that great, but now in the semifinals, he'd face Carlitos again for that uh, 11-1 to pay off for the, the title. Then he'd have another match after that. But his road to get to the semis is pretty great. We mentioned the depleted draw. John mentioned it. Man, it really is here for Sinner. He's got Rublev, Dimitrov, Kashmanovich as the other seeds in his part of the bracket. Wouldn't have to play Rude or Zverev until the quarterfinal. He's made the finals here before. He talked about the serve being an issue and the presser afterwards, so he knows he needs to improve. He stayed relatively healthy. The knee brace was gone the last two matches at Indian Wells, so he seems to be trending up health-wise. Man, I just it's a pretty... You know, we, we didn't really like it for Indian Wells because we... We question his ability to get through all those matches. And that is still a question. But in terms of his competition to get pretty deep into this, man, pretty nice draw for Yannick Center. I actually like Zverev in that quarter. If I, I'll be looking for some Zverev quarter prices. I don't have them either. Bet365 is doing the same thing. Sometimes they have them up and then they pull them down when qualities start. 
the last round and they they put them back up once they know the the placements this they were they haven't been up all day today like they didn't even put them up uh and then take them back down so i i'm no i don't even have like a frame of reference to go with but i know that as far as 25 to 1 that sec like you said that second quarter is just like where is the the threat outside of Sinner or Zverev? Honestly, like Zverev is at the point where I actually do. He looked pretty damn good at Indian Wells for the most part. There were still stretches where you know form dip, but he he's always done that. The double faults have always crept into his game, right? Uh, even when healthy, he played some super long matches. He really should have beaten Medvedev. That ankle thing should should have really have ended it. And remember, his nine break points in that second set did not come after that ankle roll for Medvedev. They came before the ankle roll. They came in the first couple Medvedev service games of the set. He had him on the ropes. He couldn't take advantage. I certainly think that Zverev looked good there. And who knows what happens if he he wins that match? Like, do we see a 25 to 1 on him if he makes a quarter, semi, or final run at Indian Wells? Not a prayer. Not a prayer. And what was stopping him there? A Medvedev comeback on a rolled ankle because he choked a little bit. I think I don't think you can just I think you still have to give him credit for the way he played Indian Wells is, is what I mean here. He's made deep runs at big events before. He's got like the physicality he needs. He's got a strong first serve. He's got the grinding ability. When I take a look at the draw, it's the same scenario. He's on the other eight from center, right? So it's like, dude, Taro Daniel, Arthur Rinderneck, Emil Rusuvori, Bautista Agut to get to the fourth round. Then the fourth round could be Casper Ruud, who's defending a lot of points. But keep this in mind, two little tidbits. One is the obvious one, Casper Ruud's in dog poo-poo form. And the second one is, that is one of the bigger mismatches you will see on a hard court from the backhand side. We all know Casper Ruud has a great forehand. He's improved his serve. That backhand is still so vulnerable. Even Diego Schwartzman, in a lopsided loss, was picking apart that backhand on certain points. He just, for some reason bailed out of rallies and tried to rip inside in forehands and missed them all. If he stays at that backhand, attacking the backhand, he makes that match a lot closer than it, than it appeared. That's a great matchup for, for Zverev. All of a sudden, it's a quarterfinal versus potentially Sinner. I don't mind having him in the quarterfinals of the 25-1 to 1 ticket. And his his section is weak. Very, very weak. His seed is Kasper Ruud, who is ultra-vulnerable. Okay, breaking news. They did drop some quarter prices here on DraftKings. Oh. I should have mentioned that what? before at the top, that... Uh, these are DraftKings odds. Sinner is plus one seventy-five, which I was hoping for at least a two. So they're on they're on to his weak path here. And then Zverev is plus four fifty, which is obviously uh, much more enticing. So let me just let me just try and construct this real fast on the fly. Plus five plus four fifty. Yeah. So that's five point five zero. His quarterfinal opponent Sinner. He's probably a dog there, considering how Sinner played. That puts you over plus a thousand on your rollover. His semifinal would be Alcaraz. He's a clear dog there. Um, I think the twenty-five to one is hoping Alcaraz has a bump along the way. But even still, I do think he has the kind of game that can trouble Alcaraz. Um, not the not the way he played that final against Medvedev, but general Alcaraz could be problems. But he's still plus one fifty, plus two hundred in that scenario. And now you're already over your twenty-five to one. So that quarter price actually looks pretty nice. I agree with you. I mean, look, I think the, uh, you know, the auto fade of Zverev is uh, over these days. I think he's still vulnerable. Don't get me wrong, but I definitely think he's closer to being back than he was before. You guys keep looking at the top half of the draw. I keep looking at the bottom half of the draw because Sitsipas is in there and I got to imagine that he's still hurt. So then you're looking at basically Felix, Tiafo, Hatchinoff. And then Sitsipas. So let's if we remove Sitsipas, I'm still looking at Tiafo Hatchinoff, 
and Felix. Felix and Tiafo would probably have to play each other. I don't think it's all that crazy to take Hatchin off here. I mean, his biggest opponent that he's going to have to do or face against in route to the quarterfinals is probably just Musetti. That's I'd not that. Or Echeverry probably is is a bigger threat right now than Musetti. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's it's a real Which, toss up. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, yeah. I'm just yeah. That's a which proves crap, your point. Yes. Yeah, it's crap crapping on Musetti. Like I'm just like, what the heck? Like his route isn't that hard to get to the quarters, so you can hedge at the quarters. But still, like, what's Hatchinoff's odds? He's at plus six hundred. Tiafo is plus four hundred. FAA plus three hundred. Tsitsipas at plus two fifty. So he's even defeated a, a bit compared to center. You have to take. You have to take something here to fade Tsitsipas, right? Yeah, correct. Exactly. If he's a favorite, it, it's just it just almost it's not auto value on everyone else. I hate saying that because then someone's going to say it's not automatically value. But you know what I'm trying to say when he's the favorite here. Uh, there is going to be value to be found somewhere else in this market. Yeah, that, I think that's the edge here. And I don't know. I, I think Hatchinoff's not a bad pick if you plan on hedging at the semifinal yeah. or sorry, at the quarterfinals. I don't I don't hate that because like you said, that's if if City Pass still can't hit a regular backhand, he's screwed. He could be as screwed as early as Richard Gasquet. Exactly. With with that Easy. grindy game. Yeah. And then you've got Hachanov through to that. And then, you know, take like a Tiafo or an Oceania Yassim. I would probably go full and Hachanov to win the quarter. Uh-huh. I love my chances at getting both quarter finalists and getting something guaranteed there because. I was thinking that too. I was like, you could take. It's a terrible multiple. quarter. Yeah, it's awful. You could take multiple people. And I would not hate on that given those odds. But you said FAA is like plus 250, 200 or something you said? No, uh, he's plus 300. So it's pretty plus, good. I mean, not bad. If you, you especially take compared to, you know, center. A higher price. Okay, what about the third quarter here? Medvedev is uh, minus one twenty, and I'm the seal's broken. Medvedev is going to lose at some point. I think again. I, I just <laughs> that level of concentration and that everything that had to go in his favor to have a nineteen match win streak. Uh, it, it's over. The streak is over, and uh, I, I'm going to bet on him not returning to that form and getting the heck out of Florida at some point you think that one match loss has ruined all of his confidence it's not that bad of it i think it's worth a shot to fade him yeah just like sabalenka dude she's all of a sudden uh doubling again she's she's done it's over i i you know it's funny you brought that up about medvedev and and used that analogy because i watched that match and i i thought She's been so good this year. She's got that elusive slam. Does this match maybe creep into her mind? And does do all those problems that kept her from her slam creep back in? Because if they do, I want to fade for the next couple months. And it, that's an interesting point. So, I, I mean, I, it's just such... This is a worse quarter than the fourth, man. Like, this quarter Baratini sucks. is a shell of himself. <laughs> uh-huh. Nishioka sucks right now. He's playing a pure clay quarter in the second round. Demon Hour on the slow court is not beating Medvedev. Like, who are you fading him with in this quarter? Chorich is hot garbage. Shelton wins a set, but he doesn't have the energy capacity yet to to hit. Because you got to hit seven, eight balls, not two or three to win your points here. He can still do it. He still took a set off Fritz, still took a set off Runa. But, like, taking that second set is tough. And that energy kind of depletes when you have to hit four times more balls to finish a point here. Her catch, maybe. I guess he has that grindy, consistent game to trouble Med. He's got a big serve of his own, but we saw like I, I don't know where do you fade Med? That like his quarter is yeah. worse than the fourth quarter. No, it really is. Like he's not gonna lose a set. 
on the way to the quarter. <laughs> like, I think minus 120, that's what, a 55, 56, 50, 56, I think, percent implied prob? I should know this off by heart, but, uh, dude, like, it's, that, it's tough it's- to convince me that he doesn't win this quarter more than 60% of the time. It's 54.6. Yeah, it's 55, 56%. You're telling me he loses this quarter 50% of the time? I'm telling you he's not even going to lose a set on the way to the quarter. Yeah. I mean, I... Maybe a rollover two nothing might be might get you past one twenty. I might try that. You know, I'm gonna have fun with this, Derek. I, I like that idea. I might do rollover two nothing parlays until <laughs> like three or four rounds, three there's, three four matches, and see how it works. There's some like real degenerate listening to this right now. He's like, hell yeah, this is the play I've been looking for. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm that listener. <laughs> All right. Well, I definitely think that uh, Hubie plus 500, Nori plus 550 for the quarter is, is pretty good. Hubie obviously is a, a one here before. Nori, ultimate grinder, got uh, some rest because he lost to Tiafo. So he's had some time to uh, to recoup a little bit. Demon, who I know we don't, we are demon faders, uh, but he is uh, eight to one. And uh, we have seen him just outlast people in these humid conditions in Acapulco. But man, I really like Ben Shelton, fourteen to one. I think he can beat Hubie, just flat out beat him. Oh, I think God, he, please. he can luck please. box the win against Nori. And then I'm just hoping for Medvedev to somehow either get hurt, randomly lose, and you're sitting at fourteen to one. Man, I just I really like that price, and and I'm gonna take a shot with Benny. Please let Ben find a way to beat another serve and push guy. These the serve and push phenomenon for guys that are like six five six six with Hubie and with Medvedev and with Zverev to a lesser extent. I think he has more aggression, uh, especially on his backhand wing. So I'll give him credit. But he's also in that general category. It needs to end. It's also why Sitsi Pass has grown on me the last few years as he's diversified his game. Like it's just they're so boring to watch. Medvedev is entertaining in his antics. His tennis is not entertaining. It's either a big first serve ending points as like a serve bot, or it's just grinding, pushing that is not entertaining. There's no point construction. He just waits for errors. Hubie's like that too. Needs to end. I'd love to see Ben um, win that match. I don't think it'll happen, but I'd love to see it. Alcaraz is minus 140 to win his quarter. That feels short. (laughs) And it's not, I mean, I don't know that you really want to, have that in pocket, but the seat on the bottom is Runa at the end. But Schwartzman, Shapovalov, Fritz, Tommy Paul, Fokina, Krassi, those are the other seeds. Yeah, it's not very good. No, Tommy beat him in Montreal, but um, I, I don't think that, you know, the conditions are pretty different here. I'm not sure with more time, you know, Montreal's medium to medium fast. I'd, I'd say medium, but somewhere in that range. It's a little quicker than even Toronto is, so uh, keep that in mind when the summer comes around. But I, I think Tommy needed that little extra bit of speed. And even still, it was two split tie breaks and a 6-3. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if we get to slower courts, he keeps that nearly as close or, you know, wins like he did. I've seen more Tommy Paul matches than anyone on earth than his mother. <laughs> <laughs> I will take Carlos Alcaraz versus him every time. Yeah. And the, Except the in price, Montreal. And the prices, I mean, aren't that great. I mean, Fritz is plus 650. Tommy's plus 900. I feel like the rollover's got to be just a quick math. The rollover's got to be a little bit better because they're going to be a pretty big dog against Alcaraz no matter what. What about right. Isner? Is only the four? I mean, this, this listen. Okay, hear me out. Alcaraz is <laughs> minus one forty. The fifth favorite for the quarter is John Isner. That's a I mean, that's like a market play, though, right? He lost to Gaston here last year. 
Well, yeah. he's won. He's won this event. Yeah, he did. He has. Yeah. Right. So, like, I guess maybe that's playing into it. I still think Devinovich Fokina is a much better selection than Isner because one, he's got a much better second round matchup. Two, he plays one less match than John Isner. Right. Isner has to beat Nava, then play Taylor Fritz in his path. Davidovich Fokina has a bye, then plays Oter Nakashima. Like, I don't even know that he beats Nava. I assume he will. I assume he will. I assume he will. I assume he will, too. <laughs> yeah. But you know what happens when you assume. All right, guys. Well, let's move- me. Exactly. Uh, let's move into some bets for round one here. I have some jotted down here that I can go over real quick. And uh, we're, we're kicking it off with our guy, McCoobler. Jason Kubler. 2-0, minus 102. Basically, even money to win in trades versus Diego Montero. Uh, I've seen a lot of Montero for some odd reason of late. Like backing him against team at home at the Rio Open as a nice-sized dog. Cash for me. But, yeah. man, this guy is just crazy and consistent, uh, especially against an in-form hard quarter. Montero lost in the first round of qualifying last year to Popko, who is not even a great challenger player. At near even money, I'll, I'll take a shot. Montero does not get a set here. I would lay the three and a half uh, as well. I'll, I'll I'll lay the three and a half as well. Is only three and a half? What's yeah. what's the price on three and a half? I think minus one ten. Okay, I'll be I'll be on that for sure. I thought seeing his money line price, I assumed not on a quick court that would have to be at four to four and a half. Um, what is he minus three hundred on the money line? I think he's minus in that range at least. Wow, it's okay. So it's come up. When I saw it, it was in the minus three hundred range. Uh, let me, I gotta have to pull this up myself because I'm getting confused now. But um, yeah, I think that uh, that's got to be a play under under four games is incorrect. First, he's got a I wouldn't say a strong backhand. It's not a weapon, but for the purposes of this handicap, it doesn't need to be. It's just is it strong enough to hold up against the lefty serve and forehand, and it's adequate enough to do that. That said, baseline solidity is all Kubler. I've talked in the past about Tiago Montero keeping things close on quicker hard courts, maybe surprising people, but that's because that serve plays that he's got a good first serve on slower hard courts. He's in trouble because the spin doesn't play as well as clay. He's not as comfortable, nearly as comfortable as he is on clay where he's at his best. And like I said, at least on quicker hard courts, that first serve finds him some points. so he can find some holds to keep things close. He doesn't win many matches, but you, you can see a tie break here or there, a slow hard court. Now he's got the worst of both worlds, right? He doesn't have the comfort and he doesn't have that added oomph to his ground strokes and his serve. And it makes him eminently beatable. And Kubler is just so much more solid. He also commits far fewer errors than Montero, which like, dude, you're a clay court player. You can't be committing a ton of errors. Get him to a hard court. He does. Three and a half is, is incorrect. I think that's a great spot. Uh, let's. I just want to check real quickly here. Yeah, he was in the minus 280, 290 range when, when I was looking earlier. Now up to under minus 250s, but minus 245, 240 for me. And I can get a I can get a juiced three at minus one twenty five. <laughs> That's pretty good. We're, I like. Oh, it's plus it. money. Plus minus three and a half at Pinnacle is now uh, plus one hundred one. Minus one hundred four at Unibet. That is that's a play. That's absolutely. I know Cooper's not at his best on slow courts either, but it's better than Montero on a slow hard. I'll take uh-huh. it. He's informed. I mean, he had a pretty good Indian Wells. I mean, like, and when you look for your edges, was he undervalued there? Yeah. Right? Like, you're not wondering why this price is off. It's off because the market underrates and undervalues Jason Kubler. We saw it against Sonego. Speaking of Lorenzo Sonego, that's my next play. I'm going to the 
Sinego Dominic team match here. I'm playing the over 23 at minus 110. If it feels like uh, there's a bit of a repeat with, of some plays here with Indian Wells, don't blame me. Blame the draw and the schedule. But here we have the untrustworthy hard quarter Sinego versus the untrustworthy closer Dami team. If coffee is for closers, team hasn't had coffee in a while. Uh, we've seen a fair amount of holds and tie break sets through qualities. So I think something like seven five seven six is in play here or them both getting a set is very in play here i you know the over two and a half is only a plus 125 so i i typically like the plus 130 or more for that that bet so i'll stick with the games total here because we can get there in two without that third set and, and i'll just take the totals here but i think t- team is live to win this match which is scary to say but uh, i think they're both live to get a set as you said, coffee is for closers. Like I just naturally yawned, not because you said that, but that was just a coincidence. <laughs> and I was like, damn, I need some more coffee. Um, but yeah, I kind of like the overplay here. Team just gets as far as he possibly can without winning. So taking the over 23 in this, I'm digging it. Yeah, I'll just stay the hell away from this one. I, I kind of like Sinego a bit. Not, I think it's price right, though. Like I think he, he should be a a decent sized favorite, not overwhelming. Shouldn't be in the minus 200, minus 250 range, but he's not. He's in that minus 160-ish range. And I think that's probably about right, the way Dominic team has played. Again, like even comparing him to that match with Manorino, he tailed off, which, I mean, yeah, that has to be part of your handicap. He does tail off now. And it's like, it's not like this Varev comparison I made earlier where it's like he just, he was in that match till the end and and physically was there. He just kind of didn't take his chances. Team, you kind of saw the, the drop off uh, more clearly. And uh, I just, I don't know if I can back Sinego. I can't back the money line. The minus two games is, that is a little more tempting, but God, Sinego on a slow court and team in his current form. No thanks. If you wanted to get off the 23 and get to 22 and a half, that's only minus 125. I actually kind of like that better because you can get there with a a tie break and a 6-4 set. And you're not Uh, paying through the nose for what is a pretty key half game. Yeah, 10 cents. If we're being honest in tennis. It's, you, those are usually like 15, 16 cents. So uh, that's that's not the steepest price to pay either for 23 to 22 and a half. All right, my next one here, and we've talked about the the servers holding up, uh, but not overpowering here. But I, I still like a battle of serve guys here in, in Nakashima, Oscar Atta, Brandon Nakashima, Oscar Atta. First set over nine and a half minus 145. Two serve guys who don't, two serve guys who don't break a ton on courts that have seen Known servers, like I said, um, you know, hold at a reasonable rate. I'd climb the ladder here as well to plus money. Um, but you get that push insurance is, is John. Well, no, not even push insurance. You, I mean, if you get a, a classic 6-4 set, you win. So um, you get a 4-4 guaranteed win uh, if you keep climbing. You could have, you could have an, an early break by the guy serving second. Um, it's only if the guy serving first in the set gets an early break that you start sweating and you're in trouble. You need a break back. Uh, you get a, you get an early break from the guy serving second and you can still catch that bet. So I like that one. Also, if you want a reason as to why you can still find edges betting tennis. And a lot of people say edges disappear and you got to find new ways to go about it. New information. Philip Krajanovich is still posted at the sharpest book in the world at pinnacle at like plus four forty five. He withdrew March 20th at two eleven PM. Eastern. That is over 24 hours ago. He is still priced up almost everywhere. This is according to entry list updates, who I think gets like it's either a bot or, or generated information. And the draw has a qualifier lucky loser playing Emil Rusuvori. So next time someone tells you that every market is efficient, that there's no edges out there, and that it's a sucker's game, 
Just remember that books a day and three hours later, 27 hours after announcement, still have a match blind as if it's happening. They haven't pulled it down yet. Incredible stuff. Love to see it. All right, guys. Well, that's what I have uh, on my card so far. I'm going to open the table uh, to you guys. John, what are you taking an eye at? Um, oh, our guy, Jerry Shung, man. Guy, Jerry Shung. <laughs> Super intriguing. Look, Manorino is not a slow court player. The bounce here a little lower, which will help him, which he'll be, mm. uh, which he'll like. But again, as Derek alluded to, like medium bounce, or maybe it was you were alluding to it, uh, Dave, on, on Twitter. Maybe medium, it doesn't matter. The fact is, it's still not a low bounce. It's still not his ideal, you know, strike zone, not his ideal court speeds. And Jerry has played this event before, usually as a qualifying wild card. Now he's got the main draw wild card. Sure. Yeah. Manorino won a couple matches at Indian Wells. He beat a terrible Lorenzo Musetti, who is completely out of his depths right now on the ATP tour. Couldn't win golden swing matches on his preferred surface, let alone hard court matches at the 1000 level. And he beat Dominic team barely in three sets. Uh, that team totally choked away because, you know, he's still not up to that, that fitness level he needs to be at to maintain his big ball striking. I have I have no reason to think that Jerry Shung should be at uh, plus 185 to plus 200 doc here. None. He's super talented. Where does the edge come from? Where is the market wrong? They're not aware of the prospect this kid is. Uh, I think he was a former junior number one. He's gone deep in challengers consistently. He's played a lot more hard court uh, matches over the last year or so, and he's really acclimated well. He's got spin that, that's going to help him on these courts, particularly because Manorino likes the ball lower. If Jerry's smart, he just... He grinds with Manorino in long rallies, plays with topspin, and then waits to hit that big inside-out uh, lefty. They're both lefties. Yeah. But, you know, that big inside-out lefty forehand is his, his big weapon. That's when he flattens out a little bit more and he hits through the court. That's That would be the, the, the smart move for him. And I think he's got pretty decent coaches. He's vastly improved his game, even tactically, approaches matches in a smarter fashion. I trust Jerry Shung there uh, to get to get things done. Yeah, that was one of my dog bombs here. Uh, uh, in these conditions, you're questioning, you know, if if the young, uh, if, if Shang can, uh, sorry, in these conditions, you're questioning his fitness, Shang, uh, especially against a guy like Manorino who can grind you down. Uh, but like you said, he's lives and trains in Florida. He's an IMG kid, so he's definitely, you know, a talented youngster. If you if you woke up. The next day, and Manorino lost. Would that really surprise you all that much? I mean, he is playing right. well. Uh, he had a nice Indian Wells. Played a tight match uh, last year here against Kyrgios. Uh, but it just feels like we aren't going to have uh, the type of prices on this dog for much longer. Also, maybe he snakes the first and you can hedge out. Because um, I do feel like Zhang has some some problems closing. Um, Phys- he has it- some physicality issues. Well, I wouldn't say physicality issues. I'd say... Like ability to maintain a, a high level four three sets, I think, can be an issue sometimes. Yeah. So if, like I said, maybe there's a you know if you, a way to lock in some profit in the match. Uh, but I, I definitely like this angle and this play. I have it written down myself. Anything else? Yeah, I'm like it. I don't know if you guys are gonna like this one, but I do like Ugo on Bear minus three and a half versus Monfils. Okay, so Ugo. He's been playing better this year, but I mean, I'm hate to say it, but I agree. Yeah. Um, but I'm basically playing this bad because Moen Feast is involved. Like he handily lost to Jordan Thompson at Indian Wells. And that was only two weeks ago, but it was like due to countless unforced errors and also like being out of shape. And then what a week ago, he just lost to Shevchenko. 
where he like ran yeah. out of gas at the end. And that well, match, he, he ran out of gas way early. Yeah, and Shevchenko just gifted him the second second set or no he gifted him a lot of whatever it was he was terrible in this i guess yeah and like that match he ran out of gas but like that match was like split over two days like he had a full <laughs> night's sleep and I, he still ran out of gas the next morning so i mean that's just showing where he's at physically at this point i know he played a little bit better in that match than he did against ugo a week before that but i mean we're only talking one week ago so you think that he's actually in physical shape to beat Ugo and Bear this week, I don't know. I I don't see that man. Like minus three and a half, it's pretty good. That will save you a little bit if you like. Instead of taking Ugo and Straits, like Ugo and Straits is was around even money. I remember it being like minus one hundred three at Bovada, but minus three and a half is sitting at minus one twenty five, and I'd rather take that because like oh, he, especially. Like, Especially yeah, if, if that goes three. Yeah, like in, exactly. So in the third set, like Moan Feast is going to maybe get, I don't know, down two breaks. Who knows? So I'm pretty comfortable taking Ugo there. Um, I, think the, was- I think the games over sets is usually a better play with the favorites just in case uh, because covers in three can happen. Uh, you know, chokes are a bad tie break and screw you uh, with, with the sets. And in this case, when you've got a guy struggling physically coming back from an injury, I think trying to play the games here and give yourself a chance in a, in a potentially lopsided third set is a, is definitely the smarter play. Mumphies was already down a break, I believe before the match uh, t- took the break uh, <laughs> over overnight. Um, but um, I mean, if you think back to that uh, Shardy match at AO uh, where that, that got broken up over two days, like Shardy was a hundred percent going to lose that match. He was gassed <laughs> and then he got the reprieve. Uh, which I thought might come into play with Mumphies, but yeah, no, he still stunk. So, well, well, keep in mind too that match was super lopsided until Shevchenko threw it away in straight sets. He was up four love in the second set. Um, Mumphies is an idol of his. I think they've done a Twitch stream together. He's talked about uh, being a big fan of Mumphies. They both have have a connection through I think Gunter Bresnik, who is Shevchenko's coach and is like a almost like a second father to him, he said in the past. So I think there might have been a little bit of nerves trying to put away someone you've always looked up to there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was a set and four love up before he choked that um in Phoenix. And I but that, that I believe it was three sets. I don't know why I keep doubting myself and why I don't want to speak in certain certainties, but uh it was in fact three sets. He choked away the second and then like you said picked up a break before the uh the overnight break. And I think you know, he came back the next day, potentially the nerves gone a little bit uh, and he, he served it out then. So it was a nice, nice match for him. But yeah, Monfils was terrible in that match is the, is the bottom line. Uh, and in fa- fairness to Monfils though, too, Shevchenko had a great week. Yeah. Uh, anything else before there's a few other matches I can go over that I have written down here. You got Ramos Vignolas Huesler? I don't. Uh, and I would love your thoughts on that one because I was eyeing that one myself. Mark Andre has just been so piss poor lately, and there are a few things I like about this. One, Mark Andrea's success all came on quick hard courts last year. He has won non Davis Cup, so like tour matches. He has won three of them this year two at the United Cup, or sorry, four, five. I'm an idiot. Five matches this year that don't that weren't Davis Cup, which are ITF sanctioned, not ATP. So five ATP matches. Two of them were his first two matches of the year at Davis Cup on quick hard courts against Skatov and Michalski, 
both clay court challenger players. Get rid of those. Then he beat Rinderneck from a set down and he did a second set tie break to, it, to inch out even one set in that match before he won the third. Throw that out, Rinderneck's hot garbage this year. He beats Van Ash, covers minus two and a half by the hook on a quick court that he should pummel a semi-pusher on. And then he beats Philip Krajinovic, who had to retire because Philip Krajinovic uh, is out of shape and has really not been able to survive a second set, let alone a third set all season. He doesn't have a single good win this year. Not one. Zero. Zilch. Nada. He's a quick court specialist who makes a ton of errors. That's why he likes quick courts, not just because the serve plays up, but because he can end points quickly. Quicker points mean less chance. You know, it's playing two, three balls instead of playing eight. Yeah, there's less of a chance you're going to commit an unforced error. That's why a lot of these guys like the quicker courts. Um, he's not good, that great on slow courts. His game doesn't suit them well. His net game isn't quite good enough to even try and keep slow court points um, in his favor. He's not playing a righty where he can pick on their backhand because Ramos Vignolas is a fellow lefty. And Ramos Vignolas, one, prefers slower courts. I know it's a hard court, but still... He can If he can extend rallies here, this is an error-prone opponent who is totally out of form and off of, like, surface speed-wise, is off his favorite surfaces. I see no reason other than Ramos Vignolas is a clay quarter, bro, to make Ramos Vignolas the underdog here. I legit have him as, I legit have him as a favorite. I'm not even kidding, which is nuts to me. I know. it's uh, I, I'm as It sounds as crazy to me as it does to you, but my numbers have him as a favorite here. He's plus one twenty on the money line right now, Ramos. Um, what do you think about if you you know? Okay, let's say Husler somehow finds a way. What about uh, total games over? Oh, I thought it was eleven. Uh, total games for Ramos is at twelve and a half, and that's at even money. Um, I thought it was eleven and a half. Sorry. Um, hmm. What about? I mean, Ramos though never closes out in two. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, and, he, and he's still off surface, right? He's still off surface, so he's maybe, uh, maybe you two, can rationalize it that way. Two one for Ramos is plus three eighty. Two zero is plus two seventy five. I think there's certain ways you can approach this. There's still a pl- uh, rogue plus one thirty seven on the board at uh, bet three six five. Um, open plus one fifty. Gosh, I wish I had seen that in open. That would have been nice to be on. But uh, I, yeah, I mean the over games. Also not the worst look with a server and Hughes, or even if he does lose, he might be able to just serve bot his way, even through the slower courts. There's a minus 110, 22 and a half. Over two and a half sets is probably the better look at plus 135. You got plus one. <clears throat> that's a good price. <laughs> yeah, it's Pinnacle. That's that's people always get nervous when Pinnacle's the best in market because they're so sharp. And like if they're if they're best in market, that's usually the efficient price. I disagree tennis-wise. This isn't the NFL. This isn't the NBA. It's not even the NHL in terms of efficiency and having these large syndicates. Their max bets aren't big enough to really draw in these monster whales. So uh, I have no problem betting Pinnacle press price. I've done it for years. Been profitable. I think plus 135 is a decent look there. I'm 100% in agreement that Ramos is live to win this match. I would just look for a way to to up my up my to get myself up from plus 120 on the money line um, just because I think he could lose it just as easily as he wins it. Make it worth the squeeze, if you will. <laughs> um, Booplick Wolf, pick a side. Do we have to? Oh, I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> why, do you, why do you pin us like this, man? messed up dude honestly how do you handicap that like i don't like saying these things because there might be some people who have a different perspective that are 
Um, you know, that is actually, I'll, I'll read it and say, oh, that's a good point. I might tail. But it's one of those scenarios where I almost want to make the like declaration of do not tail people who bet this match. Again, it's just a shit show between two fast quarters. One guy who doesn't care. One guy who hits a ton of errors and isn't very good on slow chords. So there, there could be an edge that I'm not seeing. So I don't want to, I don't want to like say it that way, even though I've already kind of said it. But it's one of those things where I'm like, bro, if you're going to play this, instead of saying you're an idiot, I'll just say good luck. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I don't, I don't have an edge here. I literally have a coin in my hand. I'll just flip it heads for Bublik and it's heads. So I'll take Bublik. You got the plus money. Yeah, there we go. That that's my full analysis. And and don't get me wrong. If either of these guys is plus 200, I'd be, I'd be on that. Right. Like zero hesitation because it is such a close match. But at minus 140, plus 115-ish, it's an easy pass for me. Uh, I do think it is numbers-based. If you're going to line it as closely as they have, as the market has priced it, it's an easy pass. But like I said, if there's a, you know, if one of these guys somehow, some way got to plus 200, I think, you know, then I could get involved as much as I hate the match. It's a coin flip and you're giving me plus 200. But uh, yeah, at these prices. What about Emer, Poprin? I, it's at pick right now. Popperin beat oh, wow. Mosetti here uh, last year. So I, I feel like he's pretty comfortable on these courts. Uh, Someone just popped Popperin, if you will. Uh. Because when I looked as we were recording this, maybe 15 minutes ago, it was Emer market average was in the minus 125 range. It's now minus 107 at Pinnacle. So someone, yeah, just hit popper in pretty hard there oh man but this one could be a fucking michael emer special just Ugh, makes him rally way too much i mean popper is just sloppy um yeah i'd say stay away from me i i just know if i like backed one of those guys i'd be so pissed when the when the other side is just a landslide <laughs> um all right the last one i want to talk about for me is pedro martinez at plus two three nine versus uh, Halis, uh, as this is a hard court, Halis is a deserved favorite, but it's not like Halis is having us is having some banner year. He's five and nine in twenty twenty three at tour level. Now he did pick up three wins last week at the Challenger in Phoenix, uh, but I don't feel like he could take a lot away from that. Other than he's probably got some confidence from it. Martinez came through for us against Husler at Indian Wells, arguably better conditions for him, but. At least not too dissimilar from Husler, uh, relying a lot on their serves. Really just comes down to the price for me here. I think it should be under plus 200, especially with Halise, like 1 in 14 in tie breaks or something like that. Um, I mean, we saw Martinez give FAA a pretty good match at Indian Wells as well. So I, I would chase uh, Martinez here as a dog once again. Small, though. Small. I think it's the size of the losses or the way he's lost that's pushed him out to over plus 200. And I don't even disagree with it. Uh, I got him against Husler, but again, slower courts. I was happy to do that. Won it in three. Good stuff. I think I had the over there as well. Um, or no, I had plus one and a half sets there as well. So cash the first bet, the, the large chunk of that early. And then um, the money line late, which was nice. It was part of that big run I had that that helped me, you know, stay profitable for the month right now, despite a, a pretty bad last five or six days. But outside of that, like he's been horrible, man. Like Jar- the, the loss to Jari two and two to Hampfman two and love to Ogelia seem was close, but then Sefulin three and two 
it just feels like his game isn't there. The errors are pouring in. He doesn't have power to offset the errors and, and shorten points. He's playing a very consistent big hitter in Ali's. I don't know what there is to, to, to like for him. What's his path to victory? What's his, uh, to me, I, it's a stay away. I, I get the the logic when it's over plus two hundred, but I just think the way he's losing is is being factored in heavily to this price, and I can't I can't say I disagree with that assessment. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at all the dogs on this slate, and I honestly could not pick one. Um, you guys, though, you guys Jerry. crushed it last year. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, Jerry's pretty tight, um, but. Yeah, I mean, you guys crushed it on these Indian Wells ones last week. So whatever I say, I'm just going to stick with you guys. But um, it sounds like you guys are split on this one. I, I would just. No, I'm just a pass. I'm a pass. I wouldn't. I'm not definitely not backing Ali at minus yeah. 300. Okay. Yeah, no, I would pass too. I mean, only because I usually just don't bet underdogs personally. But yeah, if you if you were looking for value, I do think that there is some value here with taking Pedro Martinez. And honestly, just the money line, because I was looking at the plus one and a half sets. That's not a good value whatsoever. No. I think it's like a minus. I think you're paying juice. So um, that's that's how I ended up on the money line. Um, and, you know, half unit. Um, we don't typically talk unit plays on this, but uh, there you go. All right. Any other uh, plays for you guys? What about um, JP Varelis? For, how do you say his name? JP Varillas. Yeah, versus Pella, who stinks. Uh, that's basically money line, um, one, m- money line minus one twenty three for JP here. Uh, but he is also pretty suspect on hard courts. Doesn't play a ton on them. Doesn't have uh, any resume on a hard court. Pella picked up a win at Indian Wells against Montero. Yeah, John, you're you're, uh, you're you're kind of a. I feel like this is up your alley. This is a a John Reed match. Yeah, I love my clay rats apparently. So um, <laughs> I should I should be all over this matchup since I love betting powerless clay rats. Um, but <laughs> I wanted I wanted Guido Peya somewhere in that plus one forty range. He opened plus one twenty seven. I thought Penny kind of nailed it uh, with their opener. Of course, that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to let the sharps uh, bet into it and 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 bring that number to efficiency with their with obviously lower. Um, opening limits, but people have bet it the other way and have just hammered Paya down to a pick at, at Pinnacle. It's now minus 110 to Varillas and minus 103 to uh, Guido Paya. And I think that's a little too far. I, I'm not going to get involved. I don't want to bet Juan Pablo here. I think Paya has a bit more um, to his game on hard courts. He's looked a little less awful, if that's how, you, how I can word it, um, than he did I guess like six, seven months ago when he first, first came back, but he's got like a, a, a what do you call it? A, a foot problem that doesn't go away. He announced that a while back. He's coming off injuries to boot. He's not great. And again, like I said, I'd want plus plus one forty here to fade Varillas and it's just not going to happen. So nice, easy pass for me. Someone's still going to hit you up on the timeline that you're going to have to block for that response. Yeah. Hey, pay a, Probably how you say that, huh? Not Pella? Jeez. Oh, I think so. He's from Argentina, I would just assume, but it could be yeah. Pella. I think I've heard multiple people um, say Jari, and like including some of the Encore people in Chile. So, you know, maybe there are certain names that are um, 
you pronounce the J and you pronounce the double L. Well, know. I'm from Ohio originally, so Pella. I, I, <laughs> 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 I was in Ohio in the South. It was like a southern accent in there. <laughs> all right, guys. I think we have said it all. Any other last thoughts? Hmm. No. Okay. We definitely have said it all. Uh, if you have made it here, give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Follow us at MP9Tennis on Twitter. Follow our pod. Give us a rating, a review even. More people are following. Thank you. Picked up a lot of follows over Indian Wells. So really appreciate that. Helped us out a lot. Moving up the charts. Love to see it. You can find Derek at Fair versus Nicole. You can find John at Jared Tweets Tennis at Tidbits Tennis. Again, you can find us at MP9 Tennis now on Instagram as well. Not sure what I'm going to do with that, but we're on another platform, baby. TikTok, here we come. When I <laughs> decide as a 40 year old man to download yeah. TikTok onto my phone, <laughs> put on your daughter's it's phone. It's like, it's literally the only thing keeping. Keeping me away, it's just my age. Uh and and anyway, but I guess it is it would help the pod. So anyway. Uh until next time, see you on the court. <laughs>